Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Meaningful Learning Podcast channel with me, Dr. Samantha Cotrera. On this podcast channel, you'll find a collection of my conference presentations from 2016 onward. To learn more information about this work, as well as all my work, visit my website at www.samanthacotrera.com. This paper is called Accountable to the Past, Accountable for the Present, a theoretical discussion related to the Canadian history curriculum. I presented this paper at the American Association for the Advancement of Curriculum Studies when they came to Toronto, Ontario in April 2019. Now, one of the reasons why I actually started recording my papers in 2016 was because I just seemed to have bad conference luck. I seem to be scheduled with papers that aren't related to history curriculum or the themes that I'm talking about and or uh, were just scheduled at very bad times or in conflict with other, other things that people are interested in going to. This paper is actually an example of both of those things. I was um, scheduled with one other paper related to dementia and care work. And it was, this session was scheduled at the same time as a whole panel related to truth and reconciliation and the history curriculum that was happening across the hall. So while my, my co-presenters uh, at this particular conference were very generous in trying to pull the links between our two papers together and the people that were in our session were really interested and active in making those connections as well. Unfortunately, none of those people were history curriculum people. So I was very happy that I was recording it at least because I'll be able to share it with a much wider audience uh, because because of the recording. So I hope you enjoy this paper because I certainly enjoyed thinking through some of these ideas for the conference. Enjoy. My name is Samantha Cotrera and I am a history education strategist. I'm an, an independent scholar working in history education as well as kind of higher education generally. Um, uh, my assumption in writing this paper is that this would be an audience of people that were familiar with history curriculum, although I recognize because of the odd pairing of the two papers, although I think we do actually have some interesting connections, there may not be. So hopefully you find some things interesting if this isn't your area of focus, and that, I, um, that I'm not speaking about it in such an obscure way that we can't have a maybe discussion that brings some of these things together. Um, I want to identify that I'm a fourth-generation Torontonian, um, and I identify as a white Canadian. I have ancestral links to uh, Italy and France, as well as current family ties uh, in Thailand, Scotland, Italy, and France. Um, I recognize that we are on the land right now that has been sacred land for over 15,000 years here at the University of Toronto, and it uh, is the territory of the Huron-Wendat, the Putin First Nations, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. Um, this territory uh, was the subject of the dish with the One Spoon Watton Belt Covenant, an agreement between the uh, Iroquois Confederacy and the Confederacy of the Ojibwe and allied nations to peaceably share and care for the resources around the Grace Lakes. Today, Toronto, as a meeting place, is still home to many Indigenous peoples from around the world, and we're grateful to have the opportunity to continue to work and, uh, and to live on this territory. As a white scholar and educator in Canada, I am continuously learning what it means to write, study, and teach, uh, and learn in these territories in ways that develop, support, and maintain reconcil reconciliatory relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people, such as myself. 
This acknowledgement is a way to keep these connections present in my work, even if the work is not focused on issues directly related to colonialism, settlement, or reconciliation. However, I found since I've began conference papers with this acknowledgement, I have found it hard, if not impossible, to identify those topics that aren't directly related to colonialism, settlement, or reconciliation, and the ones that are not. And this paper is no exception. This paper is entitled Accountable to the Past, Accountable to the Present, um, uh, a theoretical discussion of accountability in Canadian history education. And the first action that I took in putting this paper together is to be really clear about what I meant by accountability. So I did a Google search. And the first definition I got was from the business dictionary, which read, accountability is the obligation of an individual or organization to account for its activities, accept, uh, accept responsibility for them, and disclose the relationship in a transparent manner. So account for activities, accept responsibility, and disclose results. Well, I didn't necessarily want a definition tied to business. Um, I realized that this definition was enough for us to start as a theoretical, um, uh, a theoretical starting point. The obligation to account for activities, accept responsibility, and disclose the results. Uh, so what do we mean when we say account for, since you really shouldn't be defining something with the same word? If we're thinking about accounting for, we can replace it with synonyms such as explain or describe, which might seem fairly asinine, but we can also use words that brings in more of this subjectivities, politicalness even, to justify, interpret, or narrate our understanding. So to account for activities by explaining them, to justify them, or to narrate them. These synonyms point to the ways we assume accountability as a way to start from the place that we can prostrate to accept responsibility and disclose results, but we can also start from a place of justifying our particular actions to accept responsibility of perhaps getting caught doing something that uh, we shouldn't have been doing now. And if any of you are Canadian, we can kind of see this playing out uh, on a federal scale right now. I start with this kind of discussion about these words because I'm coming from a post-structural background, but also because I realized the more I delved into this popular, not even a critical definition of these words, I realized that the importance of the concept of accountability has to or could do with history education fundamentally. The study of national history through public history, public school curriculum in particular. Is history education designed to be accountable to the past, to the present, uh, to both? And what does accountability mean in that particular concept? What does accountability mean to the past? What does accountability mean to the present? This paper is based on two theoretical and empirical premises. First, that traditional Canadian history narratives are used to propagate the permanence of white settler colonialism. And second, that youth in Canada live transnational lives, interacting and developing texts and cultures that span beyond and across national borders. To be accountable to the past or present from this vantage point, from this, these premises, is to enact one's obligation to account for one's activities, accept responsibility, and disclose manner in a transparent manner in a way that works at naming and dismantling white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchal systems of oppression in ways that acknowledge its operations in the past and the ways they continue to operate in the present. And to take this acknowledgement and actively move forward to change and create a more equitable, sustainable world for our transnational populations, as we all are, who embody, enact, and resist these systems. 
The sense of accountability is actually what I've come to understood about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, report here in Canada. And for those of you who aren't Canadians, I'm sure you'll hear a lot about the TRCA in the next few days. They said that the way to move forward in a reconciliatory manner after, this, uh, after, um, after the commission is not just about teaching about residential schools in schools, although that is certainly part of it, but it's about recognizing and rectifying the ways that knowledges, cultures, and peoples were attempted to be eliminated through a series of policies and practice which continue to have ramifications today in order for indigeneity to be present and thrive on this land. So it's not just about acknowledging a bad history, but it's about changing and moving forward to the future. But this work is harder. This work is harder than just mentioning residential schools when we're talking about these periods in history. This sense of being accountable to either the past or the present is hard because it involves prostration. It involves accepting responsibility in a way that moves you to a different place in the future. You're not forgiven and then we move on. Accountability means that there is a clear and open learning to be done in order to move forward. As, slow, as Stolo um, writer Lee Miracle outlines, forgiveness is a Christian concept. And when I read this, it was really interesting because I always just assumed the naturalness of forgiveness. But forgiveness is a Christian concept. In indigenous, in indigenous epistemologies, quote, if you hurt someone, own it. Look at yourself, track where it came from, learn from it and make it right. Continue to learn from it, continue to deepen your understanding and grow from it, end quote. So then I ask, is this is what, is this what history curriculum is doing? Is, the, is there space for this to do this work in history curriculum? Is history curriculum accountable to the past and the present in a way that allows for not just a sense of forgiveness, but a sense of movement? If viewed from the vantage points that I started from, that traditional Canadian history education is meant to uh, propagate the permanence of white settler colonialism and that youth in Canada live transnational lives, my, my answer to my original question is that neither. History curriculum is neither accountable to the past nor the present. And this isn't the answer I had in mind when I came up with the title of this paper or when I started writing it. Instead, I thought about this question for a while. I turned it around in my head. I thought about key concepts. I read, I discussed, I thought some more. And then I realized that although I wanted the answer to be one or the other, it is actually neither. History, curricula history curriculum is neither accountable to the past or present if using a business, this business dictionary definition and uh, starting with a critical, nuanced, and historically understanding, uh, informed understanding of the past and present. Instead, what I came to realize is that history curriculum is written in ways that made it accountable only to the state. Accountable to legitimizing the state, ensuring that the state as it is right now remains intact. If accountability is this obligation to account for activities, accept responsibility, and disclose the results, then history curriculum takes on the obligation of accounting for the legitimacy of the state by narrating the legitimacy of the state through learning objectives. Now, history curriculum is often assumed to be and blamed for a one-dimensional understanding of the past. 
But when looking at the learning outcomes and expectations of the history curricula across Canada, one can see a lot of room for interpretation and critical thinking. So uh, history curriculum in Canada, just like all curriculum in Canada, is the domain of the provinces. So each province has its own unique history curriculum. But there are some places like the East Coast that there is a collaborative document in which then uh, individual provinces will teach certain things. Right now, the history curriculum in Canada is designed around or implemented through the historical thinking model. In fact, anything after 2009, any revision after 2009, is based around the historical thinking model um, most popularly um, uh, put forward by Peter Satius here in Canada. Um, with this particular model, there's a focus on inquiry and skills for historical thinking so that students are not just learning a particular narrative uncritically, but instead are um, identifying, uh, identifying um, criteria for historical significance, understanding the use of historical evidence, things like cause and consequences, um, con continuity and change, things like that. So while we may assume there is a top-down version of a particular narrative in history curriculum, in fact, with this focus on historical thinking, this focus on inquiry, the focus is on students critically investigating using critical thinking techniques about, uh, about, the, about the past. However, these particular elements, even though it's not a top-down singular narrative, these elements of the history curriculum is a key mechanism for history curriculum to remain accountable to the state in lieu of, for example, accountability to the past or the present. Accountability is about accounting for activities and accepting responsibility. But by inviting critical thinking into the state-mandated study of the past, this curriculum downloads this work onto students. It downloads the work of accounting for activities, accepting responsibilities, and disclosing the matter onto the students. The way accountability works in this critical thinking, interpretive, methods-based approach is to allow others, the students, young people with very formal little political power, to examine the past critically, to account for, to explain, to describe, to interpret, to narrate an unequitable past. The history curriculum, and this is where I recognize the semantic messiness and even one could argue, um, weaknesses of my, argue, my argument, by insinuating that there are purposeful uh, actions to documents, the curriculum, or to multiple bodies, the state. But just bear with me. The way the history curriculum accepts responsibilities for the missteps in the past by creating conditions in which students, young people, are able and invited to critically think about them in the past, this sets the state up in a good position because it can show evidence to students for critical thinking as evidence about being accountable to the past, as an effort to circumvent the state's actual accountability and responsibility to inequity and inequality in the past and present, and therefore the need for them, for the state, to act on this inequity. To change is to be beholden to the responsibilities of the accountability, and yet the students are taking that on by being allowed, quote unquote, to be able to critically engage with this past. 
I think it's important to name this because the accountability to the past and present won't therefore ever come from the curriculum. It will come from practice and uh, praxis. It will come from the teacher's own curriculum to want to push against these expectations of the state in the curriculum in the way they, um, they enact them in the classroom. Curriculum is both the stated and unstated expectations for what needs to be taught. So it's the teacher's curriculum, the societal curriculum, that needs to be the source of intervention if the goal is to make the history classroom accountable to the present or the past, which I would argue it should be. I have been a critic of historical thinking for over 10 years. Recently, I've just been named the harshest critic of historical thinking, so thank you for that. Uh, and uh, I go back to this critique over and over and over again because I'm surprised with the way that it's being engaged with so uncritically. It's also it's demonstrative of the way the accountability of the past can be downloaded to the work of the student so that students don't have to emotively imagine what the past, uh, emotively engage with the past, but instead be taught to methodolo methodologically go through the critiques of the past with historical thinking and a greater sense of skills and an understanding of evidence. There is no accountability to the past or the present with historical thinking. There is accountability to the method of uh, historical inquiry. This focuses on arming students with the skills to do the work of accountability themselves. The neoliberal critique that I published about in 2009. To say, here, let's look at the evidence for the injustices of the past, especially when looking at competing evidences so that we can understand it ourselves. But students on, quote, the wrong side of history don't need to examine evidence to demonstrate the injustices of the past. They see it, they hear it, they feel it, they're living it. If anything, this approach to, uh, this approach to understanding the past is a soft way into legitimizing students' embodied experiences. Here, we'll use the historical method to let you know that you've been right all along. So for example, as a female student, I don't need to logically and rationally sort through evidence to, to against or for suffrage, as they would in grade 10, for example. Uh, the fact that there is a debate against women having the vote is evidence enough for me that there is a historically lower status for women in society. The fact that I statistically currently make 80 cents to every dollar my male colleagues make is also evidence for my lower place in society. I don't, and the fact that I have a genuine worry about being attacked on the street is also evidence for that patriarchal structure we live in. So to be accountable to my present, to be accountable to the past and a historical narrative that has been patriarchal and misogynistic, to be accountable to my present is to narrate and show evidence of, for this exclusion and resistance, not as evidence to critically learn from, but as stories that provide strength to a past that we know and can draw forward to move forward from. Similarly, as a white person, although of course, as I started, my ethnicity is more multi-layered than just white, you know, just one word white, um, if history curriculum is to be accountable to the past and present, I have to learn how the privileges I have as a white person have been historically embedded within the state and the repugnance of this work. Not as evidence that some people thought differently than other people in the past, but as a legacy that has shaped, and, uh, shaped the present and the ways that we are positioned in the present the ways that an Asian person that has been in Canada for um, longer than my family has can still be asked, where are you really from? 
But this level of accountability to the past and present is not structurally designed to be there. And when we bring in historical thinking as a way for, for teachers to, uh, to, in, um, uh, to work through themselves in practice, we are even moving further away than the sense of accountability in our history classrooms. Thus, it's difficult, if not impossible, to emerge unless we bring this issue of accountability for the past and present to our praxis. Métis elder Maria Campbell said that to, we need to know one's own history as a movement towards reconciliation. This essentially means that you need to be accountable to your own stories and the ones that you know and the ones that you don't. But this approach is derived, like Lee Maracle's explanation of what is alternative for forgiveness, from indigenous epistemologies that, if taken seriously, will rupture how we currently understand history, the past, and the roles of these objects and subjects in our study of schools. As I've written elsewhere, integrating differing epistemologies into a structure meant to reveal a certain way of thinking, like indigenous epistemologies into historical thinking, is impossible. However, bringing this concept of accountability to come full circle in this paper to our conversations around history curriculum may elucidate new ways into our conversations about what we can do with our history teaching and the commitments we need to hold to ensure our practices are accountable to the past and the present in ways that make sense for our future. Thank you.